My mum and dad are really good people. That's not in my notes. I was just thinking about it right now. They're the best people. I don't know what I'd do without my mum and dad. I don't know what you would all do without them too. They've helped us a lot. Nothing's ever been too much for mum and dad to do for someone else. There, that's the sermon. Do what they do. <laughs> now, I'll say a few more things than that, but just thinking about them and thinking, you know what, they, we should just copy them, the stuff they do. You know, mum and dad originally always planned to have four kids. I think you've, they've said about this before, right, a few times. And um, so when they had four, they were done. <laughs> Like most people, you'd think three or four is about the normal amount of kids to have. And, um, but the Lord told them to have some more kids. And um, there'd be a lot of people that would say, nah, that's not the Lord. We've had our kids. A lot of people would, would, just not, would not even consider that could be God at all. That, that's just a thought. That's not it. We've had our children. Um... You know, Mum, she went off to this conference in 1980, I think it was 1989, a John Wimber conference. Some of you might have heard this story before. John Wimber was the guy that started the vineyard movement in America. There's an interesting whole story behind John Wimber. And if you ever get time on YouTube, go look up some John Wimber sermons. He's just so interesting to listen to. And he inspired a lot of people um, to, you know, pursue the gifts of the Spirit and that Toronto church, which is really famous, that was a vineyard church. And um, John Wimber, just, just an amazing, an amazing Christian. And mum went off to his conference in Sydney in 1989 or something. And the Lord spoke to mum in that conference from Romans chapter 1 and 2. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, we should have those, that scripture up there. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... Is that it? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it to you. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... That's an interesting point, in view of God's mercy. Anyway, being mindful of the fact that he's a very merciful God, I encourage you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship they used to worship in the temple you know like in the Old Testament bringing sacrifices and they thought the sacrifices was their proper way of worshipping but Paul is saying mindful that God's really merciful to you he's so kind to you the proper way that you should worship him is to give your bodies to him and your minds. Give all of yourself to him. That is proper worship. So anyway, my mum was at the John Wimber conference and she, this verse, you know, got a hold of her and she knew what the Lord was saying, have more children. Now that's not what it means for everyone. If you're a lady here this morning, I'm not saying this is telling you to have more children. The point of it is, is that it's telling you to do whatever God wants you to do. 
you're supposed to give your body and your mind. It's not like it's only, you only, you know, a lot of us think I'm only going to serve the Lord the way I think I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, that's not really serving, is it? You know, when, um, when a boss goes into work and tells one of the employees to do a certain thing, they're not a proper employee if they only do the jobs they want to do and not the jobs they don't want to do. I remember when I was working for Scott Kilpatrick, he had this idea once that he should buy fridge magnets of little houses. Has anyone ever seen those affordable quality homes fridge magnets? There were thousands of them. Guess who had the job of punching out every single house magnet? These come in these big sheets with all the houses. Me. I sat there for weeks of my life like a Chinese factory worker. Bloop, bloop. Bored out of my brains. I did not want to do that job. But hey, it has nothing to do with what I wanted. That was my job. But a lot of Christians, they think that serving the Lord, if, if you don't want to do... They think that the tasks are optional. You know, only do things for God if it's a fun job or if it's something you'd like. If you get to be in the worship band, for example, a lot of people like that job. Oh, up the front, getting attention. But if you have to do some other job for the Lord, no, I don't like that one, I won't serve. So they treat it like it's like you have a choice. Well, of course you have a choice, but the point is you're supposed to choose to say yes to whatever the Lord tells you um, because in view of his mercy, that's the proper way to worship him. We want to worship him, right? So mum, who did not want to have more children... And who can blame her? She'd already had four and she was 39. Now, maybe you're just a teenager or you're 20 and you don't appreciate that by the time you're 39 and had four kids, you're worn out. (laughs) And you're not really ready to have another four. But, and I can appreciate that because I've had a bunch of kids, and the idea of starting again is a ghastly thought. That's... That's not something that I, I'm not in that position to do that. But for some people, if you imagine yourself, you're 40 or 45, and then someone says to you, have another child. Like, no. It's a ghastly thought. It's a ghastly thought. But thank God that mum did it. Because look, there are human beings here that we love because of that. Like my sister, where they're like my brother Ezekiel. Like the thing is, I am so grateful that Mum obeyed the Lord. Mum had to crucify the flesh, like her natural desires to want to have more, her natural desire to not have any more children. Does she love her next four kids? You bet. She's so grateful that the Lord asked her to do it. And you know what? The Lord knew she would love them. The Lord had more blessings in store for her in obeying than if she had not obeyed. But mum didn't know that until later, but the Lord knew it before. Thank God she had more kids. Um, um, Oakland or Oakland and Wes and little Brianna wouldn't even exist. There's not only humans wouldn't exist, Nicholas McCombs wouldn't be married. Uh, I mean, all the implications are, you know, going to flow on for thousands of years. (laughs) When you obey the Lord, 
it has implications that flow on for thousands of years. It has eternal implications, and the Lord knows them all. And when you say no to the Lord over anything, you just don't know what, what you're saying. In view of the Lord's mercy, because the Lord is so kind, when he asks you to do things, knowing that he is so kind, you say yes, because he's such a loving God and he's only thinking of the ultimate best things for you and also for what's going to happen because of you. So, thank God. Once you meet your children, you're so glad. You know what I mean? This is what I say to people. Have another kid because once you meet them, you'll love them. It's like you don't want to do it because you don't know who the people are. But, oh, if only you were God and you knew who the people were. Imagine that. My parents would never look at their younger four children and say, oh, we don't want them. Never. But God knew who those four children were when he asked them to have those extra children. And if mum and dad had said no, God would have known the names of those people that would not have existed because of their disobedience. Isn't that a sobering thought? That's just having kids. That's just like one thing. But when the Lord asks us to do lots of things and he knows the outcomes of our obedience and he knows the outcomes of our disobedience too. And a lot of the times we just think, oh, I don't feel like doing that. But you're just like, it's like chopping a branch off a tree and now a whole branch is just not going to be fruitful when you disobey the Lord. So we want to be a church that grows. In fact, the Lord has told us we're supposed to grow. But it's really easy to just be comfortable and enjoy the nice church that we have. Like mum and dad, they could have been comfortable and enjoyed the nice family that they had. Their nice, perfect family of four children. Which, you know, they've done, they've done more than the average. Most people only have two or three, but, you know, they had four. They'd done more than everyone else. And their family was just perfect. We could be comfortable with our lovely church. And it is a lovely church. When I thought about it this week, or actually I thought about it two weeks ago, I thought, am I comfortable? Yeah, I'm comfortable, as far as the church goes. If the church never changed and it was just stayed this way, I'd be okay with that because it's a nice church. I've got all my friends here. We enjoy Sundays together. The Lord is so good. We worship him. But there's something wrong about that attitude. Sorry, Lord. It's like when you're comfortable... You're, um, it's kind of like, maybe it's not like a well thought through position. You know what I mean? Like when you're just comfortable with what you've got, it's, it's probably because you never thought through what that really means. But it's like when you pray for things, you, you say, oh, Lord, I pray the church will grow. But deep down, you don't care if it doesn't. Because you're just actually happy with it the way it is. So you're not praying with any faith. Either way, if it does or if it doesn't, who cares? Well, 
it's very easy to be like that. But Dad's just been talking the last few weeks about bearing fruit for Jesus. He didn't use that expression. He's, he talked about good works. That's what he's been talking about. But another way of saying it is bearing fruit for Jesus. Being fruitful, doing things which produce fruit, that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus said um, that he was the vine and we are the branches and we're supposed to bear much fruit. We're not supposed to just be on just we're not supposed to just be happy to be in the vine because it's a lovely vine and we just enjoy being there. Yes, we enjoy the vine, but we're supposed to bear fruit. So we're supposed to do things for Christ and as I thought more about this, I thought to myself, you know what's There's a silver lining on all of this. You don't actually have to give up your comfort. You just have to be willing to give up your comfort. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I thought about it. The Lord isn't calling us to embrace uncomfortableness. He's not saying give up all the good things you've got because the Lord actually gave us all the good things that, he, that we have. The comforts that we enjoy, the peace we have in church, the community that's here, the sense of belonging, the joy we have in being Christians, it's all come from the Lord. And it's all good. And he wants us to have it. That's why he gave it to us. So we're not giving it up. But we've just got to be willing to at times be uncomfortable because of other people. So we've got to embrace a willingness to be uncomfortable, but we still have all the comforts that the Lord has blessed us with. So I remember when I was a kid, I was about 10 years old, and my dad decided fatefully this one Saturday that we were going to help him weed the garden. And dad liked to get us to help on a Saturday morning for an hour or two, often. Dad's definition of an hour or two is often not an hour or two. It's often the whole morning. We all did know that as kids. Um, but still, um, for some reason, I remember this particular day very clearly because of my bad attitude, which has somehow was burned into my memory. I remember exactly what I was thinking at the time. Dad's ruined my entire day. <laughs> I remember being so grumpy in my heart as I was pulling out weeds thinking, Dad's ruined my day. <laughs> uh, I don't know what, like I look back on it now and I think it was good for me to get out there and work in the yard. I, you should all make your kids do jobs on Saturday mornings. It's good for them. <laughs> and if they say you're ruining their life, you're not ruining their life. Kids, if mum and dad get you out in the garden, your life is not ruined. <laughs> uh, it's, it's good for you to help out. And... Um, Sometimes, if the Lord wants us to do a few little things for him, we think our lives are so ruined because it's such a big effort to do something like make a meal for your next-door neighbour or you know, go, do that extra little bit of effort to do something for someone else. It's really not. It, it's like my dad. My dad probably did want help with the garden, but he also knew that I needed to learn not to be lazy. 
It, it was more than just the garden, and the Lord knows it too. It's not just about what needs to be achieved. It's also about what needs to be achieved in you. So we don't want to be spiritual couch potatoes. Remember Norm? Remember that, those old shows? Norm, life be in it, sit in the beanbag and just watch TV all the time. No, spiritually, we don't want to be just people that enjoy the beanbag. Just be comfortable. Ah, oh, life's so good. Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. No, there's times to get out of the beanbag and do some things for other people. So I'm sure if I went for a drive down Petey Street today, the garden would be looking lovely. Actually, I have no idea, but the garden looked a lot better at the end of that Saturday because we all got in and helped. And so it changed the garden, and I'm sure it changed me as well <laughs> in some way. And the Lord is wanting us to, um, to not be lazy Christians. The Lord's wanting us to be willing to do things for him out of our comfort zones. And so if we suddenly had a whole heap of new people in the church, the church would be different. The church would change. People don't like change. I don't like change. No one likes change. Well, probably a minority of people love change. But if the church grows, there would be change. No doubt about it. And people like familiarity. But we've got to say to ourselves, you know what, I'm willing for there to be some things that I'm just not familiar with because it's good. It's good for what God's trying to do. And you know what, maybe some of the things that might happen wouldn't be what you think should happen. It's, um, you know, when families are making decisions, when mum and dad are discussing what they should do, sometimes mum and dad don't agree. Right? So sometimes one of them just says, well, no, we're doing this. Usually it's the dad, but not always. Sometimes someone just says, well, this is what we're doing. And if you're going to do it together, you do it together usually by agreeing that you will do it together, even though some of the time you may not be, you know, enthusiastic about every element of the thing you're doing. And as a church, we've got a lot more than two people here. So there's go there will there just inevitably has to be some things. I have, like in my in my mind, I don't have some kind of like laid out idea of what will ever happen in the future. I, only the Lord knows these things. But all I know is that if the church grows, things will happen, and not everyone will think it's what should happen. But what we've all got to decide is, we want to see the Lord work. And we're going we're gonna to participate, even if it's not always exactly what we think. I've always thought to myself, you know there are people who um, have been a part of this church and then they've had to leave for various reasons. And um, Eli and Lisa Tyson from the USA was a couple like that. Some of you might remember them. They were here about 10 years ago. And they were part of this church for a few years. And when they left and went back to the USA, Lisa was telling me, she said, we just can't find a church that's like peace. We just want to be in a church that's just like peace. Well, they couldn't find one. There wasn't another one like peace. So what do they have to do? They just have to join a church and give their heart to it. That's what you've got to do. And if the Lord works in our midst 
and people join the church, like bikey members and drug addicts and children join the Sunday school who are not well behaved and run around screaming in the middle of the service. Don't complain that there's yelling and screaming in the middle of the service. It's, there'll be a million unforeseen consequences of the church growing. And well, you know, we lay down our bodies and our minds a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy to us. Gosh, if God wanted a perfect heaven, he never would have let all of us in. You know what I mean? Like the perfect heaven, it'll all be perfect in heaven one day, but the kingdom of God, if he, if he required it to be a perfect kingdom of God, it'd be an empty kingdom of God. There'd be a king and no subjects. But God knew he had to deal with people. Well, once you have people in anything, it's ruined. Pretty much. Because people are just people. I don't know what to say about it. If we are going to grow as a church, we've just got to be okay with having other people in the church who are just going to mess up some of our stuff. It's just what's going to happen. I remember... Um, now, I have a cousin, Corinne, who married Zach. Zach May, right? So I have a cousin, Corinne and Zach. In America, Marie has a cousin, Zach, who married a Corinne. So we've got a Zach and a Corinne in two continents. And um, anyway, they got married and they had their first child. Their lives completely changed. And I remembered um, Zach and Corinne, if you're listening, God bless you. But I remember um, seeing a Facebook post this one night from America Corinne and she was tearing out her hair with this little baby because it wouldn't go to sleep and, and she was saying something like, some, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was something like, I can't handle one kid, I don't know how I'll ever handle more, something like that. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, one kid's a breeze. And uh, <laughs> because you, what happens is the one kid changes you completely. That's why a second kid is not as hard as a first kid and a third kid's not as hard as two and all of that. It, what happens is it changes you. So when you're just single, you do whatever you want. You, it's just you. When you get married, now you do some of the things you want and you give in too because now you're agreeing with other people about how your whole entire life is going to go. So you've got to give up some things. See? When you involve more people, you have to give up some things. And then the two of you decide to have a child, and now both of you are plunged into being selfless humans. 24 hours a day for the sake of this little one who's completely helpless and needs your attention. So it changes you because now you're willing to do anything for that little one. So parents give up their comforts for the sake of someone else. So that's what I'm saying about us as a church. If we want to grow, we have to embrace that willingness that, that young parents must. They go through the journey of learning that, and we have to go through that journey as a church. As a whole group, we have to go through the willing, that process of giving up our comforts 
So we've, we've still got the comforts. We've still got the love of God and the joy. and the, We've still got them. But there is a sense of, being, of needing to give up things so that other people can be added to us. It's the nature of it. The good news is it, change, it will change us and we'll become better people. So you wonder why certain churches just have like, certain churches just grow. There's people added to them all the time. It's because they're able to grow. There's a certain, there's a grace at work. But there's also a certain attitude within the people that enables it to happen. But when a church hasn't grown for a long time or, you know, like peace, we see someone get saved every now and then, but as a whole, we haven't really grown a lot in the last 20 years. So there were certain graces and, and, and certain ways of thinking and acting that are not natural to us. So we've got to learn them. And when new people start being added, we've got to be flexible with ways in which your life may be less familiar than it was before. Okay, that all makes sense? Sometimes you've got to get up at midnight to feed the baby and with a church full of babies, sometimes you're going to have to do things that, you know, you don't feel like doing, but you're doing it for them in view of God's mercy because God is so kind. And of course, someone did it for you when you were a baby Christian. Someone busted their guts to help you along. And um, so we have to have this attitude about us that's got a big heart for other people. Um, so we can't have an attitude that says, ah, they'll be right. You can't think like that. You've got to have a big heart for new Christians. You've got to have a big heart for unbelievers. You've got to have room for them and be willing to do things for them and be willing to forgive them when they stuff up your life, even if it is just temporarily. If they want to come around to your house and hang out and talk about the Lord until one o'clock in the morning, let them do it. Because they need it. And God knows you probably need it too. Probably it'll change you as well. So anyway, here's the question for you. If nothing changed in the church and we just went along Sunday by Sunday enjoying our church life, would that bother you? Would you be bothered by that? If the answer is no, then you're too comfortable. And we need to change that. Okay? In John chapter 4, verse 35... Jesus had just been talking to a, the woman at the well. There's a story of the woman at the well. He shared the gospel with her. She was blown away. She went back to her city and her town in, in uh, Samaria and a whole heap of people became really interested in the Lord. And then Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, don't you have a saying? It's four more months until the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. That's the truth. The harvest, in other words, there are people right now ripe to become Christians. People are hungry for the Lord right now. People are so open to the Lord, it's unbelievable. But you wouldn't know that because you, you haven't talked to too many of them about the Lord. 
People are hungry. The harvest is ready, but what the Lord wants is workers. Mm. Jesus said in another place, he said, pray for workers. Pray for workers in the harvest field. Well, that's you. You're the workers. Now, another verse popped into my head this week too, which connects exactly with this. It's Proverbs 10, verse 5, and it says this. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. It's true in terms of actual harvesting. You know, like back then in those agricultural cultures, if the harvest is out there, but your kids don't want to go out and help you bring it in, that's disgraceful. The harvest is only good for a few weeks. You've got to get the harvest in before the wind comes or the rain comes, before it's ruined. But you get your kids and they get out there in the fields with you and they help bring in the harvest. Now, they're good kids. That's what kids should do. Except we could look at this and say this is talking about the harvest of souls. So I don't want you to feel condemned but I do want you to feel convicted. So there's a difference. Because if you, if you think I'm speaking about this legalistically, like there's a whole heap of rules that you've got to do, you'll feel condemned. But what you need to do is hear it from the heart. You need to hear it from the heart of God, and then you'll feel convicted. From the Lord's point of view, there's a harvest there that needs to be brought in, but his, his kids need to get out and help bring it in. And it's disgraceful if they're not willing to do that. Well, we don't want to be disgraceful. We don't want to be disgraceful sons or daughters. We want to help the Lord bring in his harvest. That's what he asks of us. So what we're going to do is begin by saying sorry to the Lord for being comfortable within our own selves. Now, you might, you might disagree with me, but I suspect that we've all got used to enjoying the type of Christianity we enjoy, and I suspect it's not been a deliberate choice. I don't think anyone said, I don't care about the lost. I don't, I want, don't want to worry about... I don't think anyone said that. We've all got comfortable unwittingly <laughs> without realising it. It's like... If you've ever watched TV at night and the next show's come on and the next show's come on, the next show's come on, and before you realise it, it's 12 o'clock in the morning. You never intended to watch TV until 12 o'clock in the morning. It was a dumb thing to do, but somehow it just happened. I think we've all probably done that once or twice, right? I remember 20 years ago, the David Letterman show came on this one night. Oh, that, was, that sucked me in as well. One o'clock, ha! Ah, dumb, dumb. Then you had to go to work the next morning and you were tired. See, it was a stupid thing to do. But somehow life just goes along. And next thing, you're in a place you didn't choose to be in that place, but you just got there. But what we can do is we can say to the Lord, we want to be a part of helping bring the harvest in. And you know what? You probably have no clue how to do it, right? How do you even bring in a harvest? Yeah, no clue. Well, that's not the subject for today. <laughs> the subject is today is just, are you willing? Uh, you know... <laughs> Let's start with, are you willing? 
You know, if a kid goes to his dad and says, I am willing to weed the garden, hey, dad can show him how to pull out a weed. That's step two. We can get to step two later. Step one is, are you willing? All right? So we need to begin by saying to the Lord, we are willing. That's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to pray. In fact, we're going to have communion. Can I have the, the, the band return? In communion... Communion has this power in communion. Just think about the Lord. He must have had a pretty cushy life in heaven, don't you think? Perfect communion between the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect love, perfect communion. But, But the Father says to the Son, I love these people. Would you be willing to go and give your life for these people? Jesus, who's the son, says, Father, I love you. I would be willing to do this for you because I love you so much. And he says, I also love these people so much and I would want to do it for them too. So he says to the Holy Spirit, will you help me? And the Holy Spirit who loves the Father and who loves the Son says, yes, I will help you because I love you. And I love those people and I want to help them too. So Jesus comes to earth because he loves the Father so much and he loves you so much and he gives his life. And while he's giving his life, which was in the living and in the dying, you know, in the living he was giving his life. Everything he did was giving his life and the Holy Spirit helped him. He couldn't have done anything without the Holy Spirit's help because he was born as a baby knowing nothing. Everything he did, he learned through the Holy Spirit's help. And then when he died, he did that because he loved you so much. So that's communion. So in a minute, we're going to take the elements and we're going to take them mindful of what the Lord did and then saying as our true and proper worship we are willing because we love the Father and because we love other people we are willing to do what Jesus did and give our lives as well so let's hand out the elements and in just a minute we will receive them and we will pray this is the body of Christ broken for you Pretty amazing, really, if you think about it. On the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he felt pretty down, I would say. Well, he went through that for you. Spear thrust into his side for you. All those nails in the hands and the feet for you. So what I want you to do right now is take a minute. Thank the Lord for that. Then say, Lord, I am willing 
to be uncomfortable for someone else. Just do that right now. Thank you, Lord, for this bread that was broken for us. And I pray that as we eat it, that grace would flow to each and every person that we be made whole in Jesus' name. Let us eat the bread. This is the cup. For the forgiveness of your sins. We've all done things that are wrong. And it's just amazing that there's even a thing like the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes someone does something wrong to you. And they say, would you forgive me? And so you, out of the kindness of your heart, you forgive them. But if you knew they were going to turn around and do it again, would you forgive them? Every single sin that you've committed, God forgave you before you committed any of them. He knew you were going to commit them all and he forgave you before. That's the power of the cup. We forgive people after they've done something to us. And if we know they're going to commit something against us, we don't want to forgive them. God forgives you for everything, knowing in advance you are going to do it. Lord, we thank you for the cup and for the mercy of God which flows. Now, Lord, I pray we receive your mercy, but now I pray mercy flow through our hearts for other people. As we drink the cup right now, let grace be given to us to be the people of God, to be people who embrace change, who are willing to, Lord, to go out into the harvest and serve. Give us these graces, I pray, in Jesus' name. Let us drink together.